This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Welcome, my peers, to another episode of the Peers Project podcast. Today's guest is someone who I really admire for her tenacity and her ability to not settle for anything less than living life on her terms. She's the founder of what was a highly successful e-commerce business, Trophial Skincare, where she grew this business from 1 to 10,000 customers in 18 months with a 40% return customer rate. Phenomenal, I know. She's a growth strategist and customer success experience consultant, helping other businesses grow. So, who is this fabulous woman? Well, she goes by the name of Lucy Bloomfield. It was my absolute pleasure to sit down and speak with Lucy here in Melbourne several months ago. And hear of her journey and her story to becoming a growth strategist whiz. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Lucy Bloomfield. Lucy, welcome to The Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, you know, you and I, I met you several days ago um, when you presented to the 2018 Spark Deacon cohort here in Melbourne. And I was so interested in you and your entrepreneurial journey so far. And I knew I had to have you come on the podcast, um, but I know you're so busy and about to leave Melbourne. So I so appreciate you making it up. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Cool. So, Before we dive into you and your work, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Oh, damn, that is a good question. (laughs) And it has a good answer too, actually, which a lot of people probably aren't expecting. I grew up in the Northern Territory in a little town called Alice Springs. It's in right in the middle of the desert. And I left there, I think it was grade two, but it had enough of a experience or an impact on me as a person to, I guess, shape the rest of my life. I definitely know that I have a preference for um, one-on-one conversations, very intimate, like country relationships. Mm. So, yeah, I grew up where there's only red sand and you can't keep it out of your house. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Have you ever been to the desert? I've never been to the desert. No. (laughs) Oh, you have to go. It's beautiful. Oh, stop. I can only imagine. I've heard so much about that part part of Australia and it's just... I mean, it's so crazy that you grew up there. So I guess what were, what did your parents do during that time when you were there? And um, 
What was that experience like for you? So my mum, she's one of the most incredible women that I know. She, her and my father busted up when I was about two years old. And so she was a single mum and she had two kids that she had to put a roof over their heads, feed and send to school. So she worked her butt off for almost all of my life. I only remember her being a working mum. I personally think her work ethic is what has like impacted my work ethic and um yeah she's been everything she's been a waitress um what's the word a checkout chick (laughs) Uh, a chef she's a bookkeeper like all this different stuff so she's absolutely incredible Mm, amazing so how did that you know experience seeing your mum work so hard and in all of these different industries how did that impact kind of what you thought you might want to go out and do yourself Um, I didn't really have any clear ideas about where I wanted to go. I'm just thinking prior to getting into web design, but I do know that from a very young age, she taught me to work hard, save my money so that I could have the things that I said I wanted. So that sort of work ethic was instilled into me to perhaps my detriment. I'm a little bit Actually, I just straight am a workaholic, (laughs) but I really love what I do. So it has its pros and cons. Mm, Totally. Um, Love that. Okay. So I want to dive into Lucy, the early years. So, you know, I saw in your LinkedIn that you attended uh, University of the Sunshine Coast. So talk to me about that progression from Alice Springs all the way through to the Sunshine Coast and starting there with your Bachelor of Design and Visual Communications, which you alluded to with web design. Talk to us a bit about that experience. Do you want to know through primary school or like how sure. far? Sure. I mean, let's go all the way back. <laughs> well, we're going deep today. Uh, okay, so the I've skipped a ton of um, grades because I was just very, um, I needed a lot of stimulation as a child, very intelligent and inquisitive. Is that big noting myself it's oh my true gosh, not at all I mean it makes sense <laughs> um so that's what we that's what I did in school and I did really well all through school um I did the whole physics and thought I wanted to be an engineer and I decided not to do that got really into graphic design and had been designing websites since I was about 10 years old there's a bit of a geeky story to it I um my pa- my family, as I said, was pretty poor and couldn't afford to have horses. And I loved horses so much. So I would play these online role-playing games with horses. And <laughs> I'm so embarrassed saying this. <laughs> I would code websites that were like digital stables for my digital horses. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. And you were how old at this I was about 10 years old. <laughs> I can't remember what the program was called. There used to be a, um, a Microsoft program that you could write code in. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe one of your listeners can figure out what that the name of that is. But I learned to code in that, um, HTML and CSS. And then I eventually um, went on to do back-end programming as well. But that was quite a way down the track. Um, so I left school, worked multiple jobs, um, went into uni, really struggled in uni because uh, have you been to uni before? Yeah. Yeah. So the, having gotten so much experience doing design on my own to go back into a degree that places you back at square one, I was understimulated, uninspired, 
um, and really struggled to get through it. I've actually dropped out of my design degree (laughs) four times and I still have not completed it. Wow. (laughs) This is fascinating. And I'm, you know, I'm not even surprised considering that you, your need for that level of stimulation and what you've done. Um, so talk us through, you know, some of our peers out there listening might be thinking I'm in a similar boat. I'm not really feeling stimulated at uni or at, at school or whatever it may be. And I just don't know what to do. You know, how did you know, how did you have that courage to go stuff whatever and says I should do? And actually I'm just going to do what I want to. I think it was when I realized that I was learning more freelancing and navigating difficult clients than I was actually doing uni assignments. It's all great from a conceptual level, um, particularly in a creative arts degree, to go to uni and learn how to quotation marks design, but on the ground experience and navigating the difficult world of freelancing is so technical (laughs) there's no guidebook on on how to do freelancing right you have to learn on the ground so I really enjoyed that um then I guess the only other thing is practicing (laughs) asking for forgiveness not for permission and I've kind of always been a little bit of a naughty child and doing what I want to do. So I guess if anyone is lift listening and you're fig- wondering how to make the jump or you're really not happy, I guess I would say that, you know, things pass um, and what makes people upset one year can is often completely forgotten, you know, six, 12, 18 months down the track when you've actually built something successful. At least that's my experience. Mm. All the things that I've gotten in trouble for doing are completely irrelevant now. And it's, I love that because it's so true. It's Mm. so true. Okay, great. So then, okay, so talk to us about that first kind of early working experience you you had in the industry. So you you said you had all different types of jobs in between the degrees and whatnot and you you studying, but I, I saw one that really stood out to me was that lead design role you had at Security Innovation. So where was that based? What was that job, job like for you? And what was it like kind of taking the front seat in the industry you were in? <laughs> that was such a fluke. Oh. I, I have to tell you the whole story. Yeah. So my boyfriend lived in Brisbane and I lived on the Sunshine Coast and I moved down to Brisbane. I quit my job at a law firm, which I hated, to come down, live with him, do design. Uh, the Two days after I got down there, I found out he'd been cheating on me the whole time. (laughs) What? (laughs) So we broke up and I'm, I've sold, I was competing horse riding at the time. So I was like very, um, dedicated, had a lot of the gear. I sold all of my gear and I had about four grand in the bank. And I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah. (laughs) And like any responsible person, I decided to run away from my problems and I went overseas. (laughs) So I went to Bali um, and I remember the first two weeks were probably the most terrifying experience of my life. I was too, I'd never been overseas before. So Um. I, you know, I would duck, run down to the supermarket, which was just around the corner, run back to my Airbnb. So terrified. Eventually became a lot braver (laughs) and, um, and 
I actually met one of the programmers for security innovation at a hostel in Seminyak. Wow. We just really gelled. Um, he was a cool guy. And I guess he, we were chatting about, you know, what I wanted to do and, and what I was doing there. And he said, oh, I'll get you a job at my company. And, you know, I've heard that a mm. lot. So mm. I was like, uh-huh. And then he actually followed through and got me a job. I, um, it didn't come through until I was in England, which is about six months later. And six months later, I was painting tattoos, <laughs> like temporary tattoos that last for a week in a street stall in England. And I got the email that said, do you want to work for us full time? And I was wow. like, yes, I want to stop. <laughs> I don't want to, um, continue painting tattoos on people. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So I just want to backtrack on that a little bit. Go so, okay. So you're in Bali. You can't leave your apartment because it's stressfully scary out there. Never been overseas before. You've got four grand in the bank. You know, you meet this guy. He tells you there's this awesome opportunity to potentially work with him. You don't really believe him. Talk to us a bit about how you just go off living in a foreign country with that little cash in the bank and somehow make it to London and, and do what you did. How does that work? How well, did that work? It's, uh, it's really easy to live cheaply in Bali. Mm. Like as much as it's very commercialized um, and can be quite expensive, it's also pretty easy to live on next to nothing. It was costing me like $5 a day to live. That's wow. how poorly I lived. Okay. Um, wow. And I ended up traveling all through Southeast Asia. I think I made that four grand last like two or three months. Wow. So it's possible. Um, and then... I think I had about a thousand dollars left and I decided to come home and really think about like I needed to go and do something to earn money because I wasn't ready to or I hadn't figured out yet what I wanted to do in quotation marks. Um, so I came home and my amazing auntie who lives in Israel, uh, she contacted one of her Israeli friends who runs this tattoo store in England. So every, I'll try and paint a picture of it for the listeners. Every summer, there's a heap of tourists coming into all over England. Um, and you can make really good cash on really simple things, very novel things like uh, paint on tattoos, exactly like that. So they have these stalls all over England in prominent touristic places and they, it's a cash business. So it's, great, like great for the company. They make a ton of money. And so do the people manning the stalls. It's a 40% commission, which is damn good. Mm. And, um, they guarantee like a minimum wage every single day. But you know, some days on the really busy days, I was doing 500 pounds a day, painting wow. tattoos on people. Wow. <laughs> That's close to a thousand dollars Australian. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I just had this big sack of cash in my room. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do with this? It's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, so I went from having nothing to having quite a lot, but still being very, obviously, pretty unsatisfied with the work that I was doing. And then the job offer from Security Innovation came through. So interesting. So talk to us a bit about what that experience was like for you. So was it an online job? And if so, how did that work? And what was your role there? And how, how did you kind of make that work for yourself? Yeah, sure. So Security Innovation is a cybersecurity company in the US. They have a couple of locations around the world. And 
like a lot of tech companies, they believe in the remote philosophy, I guess, and about work and life being flexible. So I was able to work for the company completely remotely and actually funded my travel all through Europe um, for the next, I think it was like six to nine months. Um, And then when I was home, I was obviously still working for them as well. So it was a really, really good job. Very well paid. At the time, the US dollar was almost double what the Australian, no, sorry, the Australian dollar was almost double the US dollar. So I was earning incredible money doing something that I never thought I would get paid to do. Um, And then uh, the whole experience took me from basically never having worked in a dev team before, so not really understanding the processes that are involved, to being able to manage um, an entire team and help the company launch new platforms. So I was the lead designer um, for a platform called Team Mentor, which taught some of the world's biggest companies or gave access um, to information to the world's biggest companies about cybersecurity and preventing cyber attacks, which for companies, um, if you're familiar with the tech world, you know, Sony was hacked into before they worked with security innovation, ING, um, Bankwest, ton of like the biggest, biggest companies work with this company and trust them to help them protect themselves. So it was a huge learning experience um, as far as the industry, but also just from being in a team and learning how to run a remote team because it's not easy when everyone's in a different time zone. Mm. So I did that. And I was also um, a part in their hackathon um, platform as well. So designing, building that and getting that off the ground for them. So cool. I just think that I find it fascinating, your story, just because you've somehow made it work for you. You know, you were in Europe going, I want to just travel around. I really want to go back. I really know what I want to do. And then somehow through this contact, I think it's really your, that ability of like not wanting to settle. And so talk us through a bit of that, you know, how do you, how did you develop that for yourself? Like, I don't want to settle. I don't just want to be behind a computer desk at a nine to five or whatnot. You know, is it a skill that can be developed that I guess you could say courage or just not wanting to settle? And if so, how do you think we go about developing that? I think stripping back everything that you think is acceptable in your life um, is really important. So probably the best thing that I ever did was went to Southeast Asia with a very limited budget and living in a hut that only, a one room hut that only had cold water and my living costs in Thailand on a tiny little island were like $2 a day. And I spent, you know, a good amount of time there thinking about, you know, what was important, what's necessary, looking around at the Thai families who literally have nothing and are yet so happy, realizing that the life that I previously had in Australia was excessive and consumeristic and that I didn't want to, it wasn't necessary for me to partake in that. I could survive and be happy living another type of lifestyle. And that then allowed me or gave me the space to find opportunities that were more aligned with what I wanted to do. Mm. I think that's so important. I think that message of taking that time and almost reflecting on, you know, how we live and all of that. So yeah, I really appreciate that. It's so interesting. 
So I'm very excited, but I really want to get into, because I really want to get into Trefiel. So, you know, you're, you're overseas, you're in Europe and you've got this awesome online gig, um, you know, lead designer, huge, huge name and at Security Innovation. And then, you know, how did you go from, from that to, okay, I'm actually going to create a company of my own, an e-commerce company. Like how did that progression work? So I, there's a uh, visa when you go into Europe. It's called the Schengen visa. And for Australians, we can stay for three months. Um, and then you have to leave for six months before you can come back. So I was out of time in Europe. It was also getting colder. And I was like, well, I haven't seen my family in almost a year. I'm going to go home and, and sort of test the waters in what it's like to be back in the West. That was really difficult. It's a big shock coming back from a stripped back life to coming to Australia, which is very commercialized and it's essentially capitalism 101. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and all the cons that come with that mm. and the pros too. Mm. Um, so I came back and I was working with security innovation still. Um, and I did that for another almost another year and I was sort of at the point the the one thing about working remote as much as I love it is that there it's very difficult to get the progression in your career that you would usually get in a an office or a usual company um just it's just the nature of the work um so I was really struggling with that once again, like, what am I doing? Where am I going? What does this work mean? Um, the questions that I think we all ask ourselves, what impact does this have? And I kind of always wanted to start a company and we had a friend of a friend who was selling teeth whitening kits using Instagram influencers. This was back in the heyday. And he'd made like hundreds of thousands of dollars in six months. Just insane. And it was when we looked at it, when we were told about this friend, we looked at his website and we looked at his marketing. It was so poor. There was no branding. Mm. (laughs) Like it was a sales machine. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And um, there was spelling mistakes all over the website. The website wasn't mobile optimized. All these little things that I knew from being a professional in web design that I knew could be done better. And so we, you know, we were, my partner and I were thinking like, what should we do? There's obviously plenty, the the barrier to entry into e-commerce is obviously low. If this guy's making a ton of money, then why can't we do a kick-ass job and make just as much, if not more? Mm-hmm. So... This was right before we went to Israel um, and we went there, we went to Turkey and Israel for five weeks. It was amazing. And if you've never been to Israel before, it's just such an incredible country. Not only the culture and the philosophy um, embedded into the country, but just the innovation, like it is a startup central it was super inspiring because it is so competitive. Everyone has to be damn good at what it, what they do, otherwise you die. So it was cool being there and it sort of solidified what we wanted to do. Um, and then we found a product and we were shipping samples to Australia to meet us when we got home. Tried them and most of them were crap, but one of them was really good and that was the lace face mask and that's how Trefiel started. <laughs> Such a cool story. Ten times cooler than I even expected. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Okay. So you're shipping <laughs> products to Australia and you 
you know, the, the laced face mask com- comes up and it just happens to be the one you want to pursue. I guess I want to speak to two things on that. The first one being, how did you know you had to commit to going forward with that idea and going, yep, this is what we're going to try out. This is what's happening now. Um, and then secondly, you know, how did you know that you could replicate what that guy that you saw did? So to be a hundred percent transparent, we didn't actually know that it was going to be anything. I remember we tried the mask and we both said, no, it's not good enough. And like, we're like, ah, shit, we have to find something else. And then we gave it to, we had enough samples to give it to other people. And, um, and other people said it was pretty good. And we're like, ah, maybe, (laughs) maybe it's good enough. So we tried it again and we're like, okay, like what's the worst that could happen if we, you get a thousand, two thousand masks, we lose, you know, a couple of thousand dollars and it would have been fun to try anyway. Um, so there was never any real certainty about what the business would turn out to be. And probably until nine months in, did it really start feeling like a proper business? So there's always going to be that feeling of, um, I would call it self-doubt and anxiety about whether something is actually going to work. But something that I've really learned from doing Treffiel is that things don't feel successful until you've really put the time in. And even now with my new business, I'm, I'm questioning myself every day. Like, is this the right thing? What if I don't want to do this? I just know that I have to stick it out for long enough to actually see whether it will work. And it was the same thing for Treffiel. I think that you're you're so right on that. And I think that that idea of, I don't even know if it's going to work out, but it's, I've got to stick it out for a certain period of time. I think so many of us get so discouraged in those early couple of months in starting something, maybe it's on the side or whatnot. And we just think it's not going to work for us. We're clearly not meant to create this. Um, So I think that's a great takeaway there. I think the second part was really around that commitment to your idea, Um. you know, how did how did you decide and commit to it? Okay. I think for me, so I had a bit of a nest egg from working with Security Innovation because it was such a well-paid job. And I had all of this cash. It was about $20,000 sitting in the bank. And I, I didn't really know what to do with it. I was pretty young. Um, I hadn't read a lot about investing. I didn't really understand how businesses worked or how to make smart investments. So for me, it was very scary putting that initial couple of grand into the business. Um, I remember asking my business partner multiple times, like, oh my God, what if we lose it? Like what happens? And I was calculating like how long it would take me to replace that because I, it felt like such a lot of money to throw away. And it's funny now, cause I, I think that's like a pretty good amount to lose if you're going to try and try out a new business. Um, Because of that pain and because of that fear, it was very easy for me to commit because I was frightened of losing that money. Mm. So for me, there was never any question. It was like, well, I have to make the money back. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't losing that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so there was a bit of risk there. But I like, again, going back to my mom instilling a work ethic in me, it was either I was still working for security innovation at that point. It was either keep working with security innovation and sort of let Trefiel die or like go for it and really make that thousand dollars grow. 
And if you're betting on yourself to build a business, especially like if you're doing a service business, I think that's a really safe bet. If you think you can do it and you're, you're willing to work for it, yeah, like go for it. You can do it love that and I think it's it's so um, it's so raw and it's so real you know and I think that that just you know putting out that capital and it really invest, investing yourself and what what you could grow is is so important and I, yeah I'd love how you spoke to that um so you started Treffield you're you're all in and you know you've, you and your business partner are working away that you're still working part-time I mean working um full-time full-time <laughs> time jesus <laughs> with security innovation talk to us a bit about i guess there's two things that come from that but the first thing is you know how did you manage your schedule around building a startup and then also working full-time i really hope security innovation doesn't <laughs> listen to this i doubt they will but i'm sorry roman if you are uh I was a bit little naughty and I got really, really excited about Trefiel and I was working quite a bit on Trefiel <laughs> on security innovation time. Um, so it I happens. would say my time management was pretty poor. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. I think if a project interests you, you'll find ways to fit it into your day. And to me, the idea of making Treffiel work or making an e-commerce business successful was really interesting. So I just found time to make it happen. Like, I think people underestimate how much time they waste every single day. I know I do now. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really easy choice because after two years, two, rough, roughly two years with security innovation, I was feeling that lack of progression and I was looking for something else. So to have Trefiel there to pull myself into, it was, there was no question about it. Hmm. So interesting. So true. Great. Okay. So, you know, you've got this idea, you want to start creating this e-commerce business. What's that first step that you took to actually move the needle on that? Product. You need a good product um, and pricing, pricing strategy. So, if I were to restart the business again, there were a couple of things that I would do differently. So, the first thing that I would do is a top level business strategy, which is what do I want the business to look like? What revenue do I personally want to be making? What is going to be the fastest route to achieving that? And what KPIs can I use to measure that success? So, for example, conversion rate or, or website um, visitors per month, for example. So I didn't do that. And, and Trefiel was more of a, if I look at it now, it was more like a creative art project. I didn't have any business strategy in it. And that was my mistake. Um, so I would do that first. And then, and then I would have obviously executed on that plan. We didn't do that. So we we knew that influencers worked really well for e-commerce products, um, but it probably wasn't the fastest route to success. And we hadn't defined our success. So it was a bit like, as I said, Trefiel didn't really start feeling like Trefiel until it was nine months in. We could have sped up that whole process if we had have planned it out properly, but that was our lesson from the business. Um, we, I would say if you're looking at starting a business is defining that fastest route to success is incredibly important. And especially if you want a lifestyle business. So 
if you're not if you're not the type of person who loves to work um and you and that's fine like you want to work a minimal set of time finding a channel like facebook ads or any type of paid advertising that is scalable for your product slash service um is a really good option uh we didn't do that we did influence marketing we went create like right into the world of instagram influencers which is the wild wild west like it's a jungle out there so yeah, that was another lesson. <laughs> but I would say, um, I would say defining your success, pricing your product properly or product or service properly so that you can have good margins and make good money. And then sticking to the plan for getting to the level of success that you want as quickly as you can and not wasting time on stuff that doesn't move the needle ever. <laughs> 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 Love that emphasis there. <laughs> um, so many, so much we're taking away. No, so good. Um, okay, so what were some of those early challenges that you faced? You kind of already mentioned some, but I, I want to just reiterate some of them. Um, just that that we can all understand the difficulties at the start and to not mm. get discouraged by them. Okay, so doing things poorly and quickly is sometimes a really good way to test an idea Um, but once you see some initial traction like getting the sales it's a really good idea to start doing things properly so what I'm talking about is we built we rebuilt our website three times in the first six months like an intense amount of time spent on the website which for an e-commerce business is good because it's where you uh, sell product and make money but I wish that we had done um, the point of sale properly from the start because it would have been a good investment of time um, just trying to think what else I wish that we hadn't wasted as much time doing things for brand awareness because in the beginning of a business you don't need brand awareness you need sales um, and everything about the business should be about generating revenue so that you can scale out or delegate out some of the other the other fun stuff I can I'm a designer I'm a creative like I really wanted to build this amazing brand that spoke to people and um, I love doing all the photo shoots and the marketing campaigns but I look back on that first nine months even longer than that it took me to learn this lesson and it was I wasted so much time on things that didn't make us money and that was it is what it is, but if I could go back and redo it, I would totally change that. When you have a business, you are, you need to think of it as your child, um, and it seems really basic and straightforward, but you have to make decisions for the business that require sacrifice on your part. And if you're a creative like me or you're very artistic um, and you want to create something special, that is good within a context. But if you are going to run this thing as a business, strategy, revenue needs to be at the forefront of every single thing that you do. It's just, it just is. Um, And I find that now I'm in my second business I'm a lot more aware of it. <laughs> I'm making less mistakes, still plenty of mistakes. Um, but I would say that's probably the the biggest mistake that most business owners make in their first business. Mm. Why do you think that is? You just don't know. Mm. Like you just don't know what you're doing. And it doesn't matter how many blogs you read, how many podcasts you listen to. 
it's, it, I think of, I liken a business to similar to riding a horse. Like someone who's never ridden a horse can get on and sort of pick up the reins the wrong way and kick their legs and the horse moves and they kind of wave their hands and the horse stops. But there's a real, there's a real skill to being able to get on a horse and get it to perform. Um, and to get on a business, grab the reins and gather it up and make it perform in a slick, streamlined and profitable way is a real skill. Mm. It takes a lot of practice. So many good takeaways. I love this conversation. <laughs> um, great. Okay. So, you know, you, you wrote a post the other night on LinkedIn in regards to reflecting on your business. And I found it really interesting. You said that part of my business I'm most proud of is our return customer, our customer retention rate. Most e-commerce businesses average 20% retention. Trefiel had 40% mm-hmm. uh, retention. A double To double an industry average is not an easy feat. To achieve it in the amount of time we did was insane. And yes, insane it was. So I would love for you to talk to the progression of the business. You went from zero to selling 10,000 units and you had this phenomenal retention rate. You know, clearly you learned a lot after those first nine months. What was that progression like for you? Um, so just quickly, 10,000 customers. We actually 10, sold hundreds customers. of thousands of masks. Wow. Which, yes. <laughs> um, which is a big part of why we closed the business. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Mm. Um, so... Nine months, we had cracked influencer marketing. Um, It was performing really well. And we were starting to roll out onto other platforms. So Facebook ads, for example. And the company was growing steadily and we had enough capital to reinvest back into the business. And at this stage, we, we bootstrapped everything. As I said, in the last question, the, the website was done by us. It was always done by us, but we were sort of at, and the product packaging was done by us as well, which is why it's so poor. If you see any of our first two versions of the packaging, it was disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) It was disgusting. Um, so we were at this point where we had capital and we knew that to be taken seriously by consumers and retailers, which is a natural way to scale an e-commerce business, we needed to present ourselves a bit better. And we thought, all right, let's get the packaging done properly. And while we're at it, let's launch three new masks. So three new mask formulas to expand the range. Now, if you're not familiar with e-commerce businesses, um, a really good way of increasing the profitability of the business is increasing the average order value. And that's how much a customer spends on your store with each order. So that we knew that by increasing our mask range, we were probably going to be even more profitable. So it was, it was a good investment. Um, we launched, we expanded our team. The masks, we timed the launch perfectly as well. It was October 2016, I think. And coming into um, the end of the year as a product business, it's a, a really good time to be launching a product um, just because of Christmas. So we did that. It was really successful. Our influences the sales from that channel went nuts. We had a decent time on Facebook ads, um, but it did become a problem a little later. I look at the business as far as the growth and it was really nothing special. Like you can learn to grow a business the same as we grew Trefiel, reading any um, e-commerce blog, Facebook ads, influencer marketing, 
email marketing, retargeting, uh, a properly optimized website, good photography, social media marketing. Like it's all stock standard. We didn't do anything new. But what we did do really well uh, was branding the company. And it's really difficult to talk about branding concisely and to give advice on it because it is it is an art. It is creative and it can be a little vague. So good branding takes what a customer tells the business and reflects it back at them. And that's what we did with our social media marketing and with all of our customer facing operations. So the reason that we had such great retention is because we were so good at reflecting back to our customers, what they were giving to us. A really good example of this, for example, uh, dealing with bad customer service inquiries. You can cherry pick phrases and sentences out of a complaint, reflect it back to the customer and they will feel immediately understood and the problem is almost entirely resolved by doing this. It's really simple, really easy hack. Little things like that, our whole approach to serving our customers, um, we use Snapchat heavily and it was probably one of the biggest players in giving us the retention rate that we had. Just all these little things that take time to build up, to build equity, to actually have an impact on the business, um, they were the biggest part of building the retention into the company. So that was Christmas. Um, then we came into the new year. We had our best month ever. And mm. then... <laughs> what was your best month ever? <laughs> it was uh, $50,000. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. I remember calling my mom, I think it was in October, before Christmas. And I was saying to her, we did $30,000 this month. And I was just like, oh my God, mm. I, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> and then the next month, I think it was 35 and then Christmas was 40 and then January was 50. And I was just like, how? Like this little business yeah. that we struggled to get off the ground because of my poor business skills. But like the first nine months of like one grand, two grand a month to this, it felt good. It felt really good. I can tell you that. Mm. And then <laughs> we went through um, the slump. So if you haven't ever run an e-commerce business before, February to June is terrible. Um, everyone's recovering from Christmas. They're paying back their debts. <laughs> and no one is spending any money. So it can be really difficult to get sales. Um, and we definitely, definitely experienced that, particularly because our product was not always sold as a gift but there was definitely a big sub segment of our customers who bought it as a gift so the natural placement of the product and the sales of the product generally revolved around um big gifting seasons like mother's day and christmas so we really struggled to pick it up back up to where it was and we also had a, a couple of um really bad things happen I suppose so I mentioned before that influencer marketing is the wild wild west <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that I say this is because we had long term relationships with our influencers we've been working with one for almost 18 months an exclusive agreement with her she was not allowed to promote any other face mask brands uh, we were the face mask brand for her and she turned around and started selling another face mask and that was hard 
that was really, really hard because the the one thing about influencer marketing, particularly for this product, you can get away with it with fashion, um, but you need to have consistency in the influencer messaging and for an influencer to split their recommendation between two companies, it weakens the sales pitch and it weakens our sales. Weakened our sales, not as much ROI, not as much ROI, the cost of the investment wasn't worth it anymore. So a big channel for us was cut, like gone. So, (laughs) yeah, so that was very difficult to come back from. Um, Very, very difficult, especially because of some of the issues that we faced with Facebook ads. If you are trying to come into Facebook advertising now as an e-commerce business, I still think there is a ton of opportunity and you'd be crazy not to try. I think it's a really good way to learn about consumer psychology and also about digital sales. And I think just overall, it's a good investment of time because you can just learn so much from doing it. And I can't even articulate what you'll learn, but it's just... It's just a good thing to do. Even if you run it for your Instagram account, you want to grow your Instagram account. Um, But I would definitely recommend if you are looking at doing e-commerce to um, factor in acquisition costs into your pricing strategy and to also factor in that Facebook is getting more and more competitive with each day. So the acquisition costs are going up. I spoke to a friend yesterday who is absolutely killing it on Facebook ads. His whole business was Facebook ads. His aqua, like he cracked it. His acquisition costs were like two to three dollars. He's making you know five million dollars on Facebook ads alone. Insane amount of money. His acquisition costs are now eighteen dollars a click. Yeah, it's Jeez. not. It's not it's not you can't continue with that so and we we found the same thing um but one of the lessons for me at least was to spend I need to spend more time on the pricing strategy at the start to factor in how that sort of thing might might change because at one point we had really good acquisition costs and Facebook ads were viable for us. And then it got to the point where we couldn't anymore. And for, for an e-commerce business to not have Facebook ads as an option um, to grow the business or even to maintain it, it was definitely a big part in why we decided to close the business. Mm. Yeah. I find it fascinating. I think that, I mean, you, you spoke to this the other day when I heard the talk, you know, I think it's that you had these two channels of this is how we make, these are our revenue streams, this is how we make our money. And then one, when one shut down, you were left with the other, which started to not work out for you. How did you, you know, obviously an emotional roller coaster having to close the business and, and just make that decision that this isn't right anymore, it's not working. How did you, what was that feeling like for you? What was that process like for you? And how did you overcome it? was awful um we had a team of eight and we stripped it back to my founder and I and our virtual assistant who we'd had from the start and we tried everything to keep our team together and that was another mistake that we made um keeping people on for too long we uh, we had this romantic notion about yeah it's our team and you know we're not giving up and blah 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 but if I look back on it now I wish I had have cut our expenses a lot quicker um I think it would have been a better move to make but 
that's something that you learn. Um, it's really hard not to get attached to the people in your company because they're, they're helping you build your company. They're helping you build your dream. And um, yeah, once again, going back to the, the concept of a business being a child, sometimes you're going to make calls that really hurt and really suck and that hurt other people too um, for the business's sake. And I didn't have the balls to do that. So we left it for too long. But, um, you know, we did what we did. And I guess the other thing was the... Uh, my partner and I went vegan and we were doing a lot of research on climate change and issues that we really cared about. And we really, we looked at our business and we thought, okay, the product isn't vegan, but we could make it vegan. So that's an option, but it didn't stop or change the fact that our packaging was plastic and that we'd already sold hundreds of thousands of face masks and thus put hundreds of thousands of plastic packets into the environment um, and there was nothing that we could do to take that back we could have altered the packaging but you know a heap of other things came up and in the end we decided that it was better for us personally on a value level and as well for the business from a business standpoint to shut the company down completely. So we sold all the face masks. Um, I think we ran out of stock in December last year and that was the end of Trefiel. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I always, you know, it's, it's not often that you get to hear the full start to end of a, of a business and, and your journey through that. So I, I really appreciate, I know it's hard talking about, it. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And I think that's so much that we can learn from the journey, your journey and the process that you went through. So something that I, I, I talk a lot about, and we talk a lot about in the show is this idea of pursuing what you're most passionate about and actually finding your passion and going after that. And, you know, your dream that you alluded to before, you know, you spoke about, um, at the talk, the last talk, and even now that, you know, it got to the end and you didn't have the passion to fight for it. You know, when did you know you'd lost the passion for what you'd done? And how did you know it was time to just, I mean, despite all the obvious uh, reasons, it was time to personally move on from the business and actually pursue what you're actually passionate about? We went to China to find, sorry, we went to Hong Kong to uh, beauty convention called Cosmoprof. It's the world's biggest manufacturing, beauty manufacturing um, conference in the world. And it's where all the manufacturers go to sell products, where all the packaging manufacturers go to sell products, um, and where all the big names in skincare are there to go source new products. And um, we went there. It was really eye-opening. I think we had, well, I know I had an inflated sense of what I could achieve with the business at that point. I still thought that L'Oreal would come knocking on our door and want to buy us out. I am Someone's a dreamer. Dream. <laughs> I am a dreamer. <laughs> My sense of reality is warped. Well, it's, it's creative to say the least. Um, so that was really eye-opening, walking into a convention center full of you know, a thousand manufacturers and buyers from every skincare and beauty company in the world and realizing how small and insignificant we were. Um, we're looking at the product line that we had, so the four masks, and we realized that um, we needed to expand the product line if we were going to grow the business. Um, and at this point, 
Facebook ads were still working and influencers were still working. So we had some options. Um, and then we came back home. We had two really good manufacturers. Um, one that I fell in love with from France. So you can imagine the quality and both of them fell through and then influencer marketing fell through and then Facebook ads acquisition oh. cost. <laughs> oh. oh, one after the other, after the other. And I remember feeling so defeated at one point. We were paying for our rent and our food on our credit cards. Um, it was really scary, really stressful. Um, still had this sense that we could pull uh, a rabbit out of a hat and make it work. But I'm just trying to remember the exact point when we decided we went to, when we started Treffiel, Michael and I, my business partner had spent a lot of time traveling and I've spoken about my travels. He did something similar. And we both knew when we started the business that we wanted to pack up our lives again once more and go traveling but we were stuck in Australia shipping product but we'd always built the business around the idea that if we wanted to we could pack up and leave and it just so happened that Ozpost um, was looking at starting a new third-party logistics um, company offering and third-party logistics if you're not in e-commerce is when a company stores and ships your product for you so that you don't have to do it anymore so we helped them get that off the ground. That was a really amazing experience and also freed us up. So we had a, a good business that was making good money. And we had also always run the business as a remote company from my experience with security innovation. So it was ready. It was ready for us to go overseas. And we did. We lived in Bali for two months. We went to Cambodia, came back to Bali for another month. Then we went to Europe and ran the company from a different time zone. And I think it was really being in Bali. Um, one of the perks, as I mentioned, about Southeast Asia, Asia is how cheap it is to live. And we had cut all our expenses right down. We were working on the business and trying to overcome some of those challenges that we faced. And starting to realize, you know, do we actually want to fight for this? It was really easy to be so excited and into Treffiel when it was going really well, um, obviously. Um, but when it came down to trying to figure out creative and innovative ways to sell more face masks, I definitely had like existential issues about trying to solve that problem because I thought... I'm intelligent enough to solve, I think, you know, fairly important problems, maybe not like the world's biggest problems, but I can definitely have an impact. And I'm, I'm sitting here so stressed, so upset that my face mask company is floundering and I'm trying desperately to figure out how to sell more face masks. I just remember like thinking like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> What is this? Is this really worth my time? Mm. So I think going going through that and then going to Cambodia again, back to Southeast Asia, back to my roots, stripping myself of everything. No, like we had a nice apartment. We did, but we needed to work. So, you know, comfort was important. But 
looking at the way people lived and how happy they were and being surrounded by poverty is so good for the soul and so good for solving existential crisis crisis mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um that it that it was it was really therapeutic and ultimately it helped us decide to to run out of stock we were at the point where we needed to order more and facing the problems that we were and having the thoughts that we were you know is this worth our time solving to go and invest more capital into the business at that stage when we so strongly questioned why we were doing it and if it was even important enough to focus on ultimately it led us to decide that it really wasn't important enough to focus on and we were both really interested in tech and and the world around us and it it seems like a really good opportunity to get out wow just taking all of that in i think it's your story is fascinating i just think that you know even describing that hard time of you know you were sitting there pondering over this question, this problem, thinking, what am I doing worrying about face masks, you know, and it's like that bigger picture just kind of came into play, which I think is always such a blessing. Mm. Um, Great. So, look, I mean, we've had so much fun today, really going in deep. And I want to start to wrap up a little bit. I want to talk a bit about um, the current work you're doing now, which clearly is like um, something that you're super passionate about, something that you, um, yeah, that you actually want to do and you, you feel is worthy of your time. So talk to us a bit about that um, and, yeah, just what you're doing now. Sure. So um, obviously my identity was really baked into Trefiel. Half the company is half of my name. Fiel is the last part of my last name. So <sighs> to give up the company, company and to decide to close it um really shook me because I didn't really know uh who I was outside of this company I poured everything I poured all myself into it so I had to take some time to really think about it and I did that in Europe and I actually started taking photos again which was really good for me um you can check out my photography on Instagram it's lucy underscore bluefield (laughs) I'll be linking that up in the show notes Plug, plug. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was really good for me, getting back to my creative roots and also doing something that didn't necessarily need to be monetized because after spending, I don't know, six to nine months, you know, desperately trying to make sales, it was nice to have something that was just art and it just was. So I did that um, and then was obviously consulting as well using some of the skills that we learnt with Trefiel to help other smaller e-commerce businesses. I came back to Australia and I I really wanted to take the retention work that I did. I have a really good understanding of consumers, not only from building an audience, but from my user experience design and all of the things that I learned about um, reflection and mirroring in branding from Trefiel. And I knew that to do that type of in-depth work, I needed to be working with bigger companies. So the last six months has really been a, um, a big pivot in my consulting business. You can check that out at lucia.com.au. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me plugging. Oh, no, it's fine. I've got a full question de- designated to that. So. Great. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I took a really big pivot and I've cleared my clients list so many times because I've got to the end of a 90 day sprint and I've gone, they're not big enough. I want to go deeper. Like I want to, I want to get into the, the biggest companies or the most, um, impactful companies in the world. And I want to help them understand their customers, acquire their customers and retain their customers. Because I knew that when I left Trefiel, I was having, you know, a lot of debate about what I wanted to do next. And, you know, I have a lot of ideas about other projects that I'd like to do. But the one thing that I kept repeating to myself is that I want to stay in business. Like, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to go and be a dev again. I don't want to be a designer. I like business. I like it a lot. And I think commerce has the ability to change the world. It just needs to be pointed in the right direction. A lot of people think capitalism and commerce as like these dirty giant beasts like Coca-Cola and Unilever. And they are, but then there's also really beautiful things that can be done with capitalism and commerce. Like, you know, you look at Edgar's mission and um, there's a company called Will's Vegan Shoes and they make the most fashionable vegan shoes. And it's such a commodity, (laughs) but I'm like, that's, that's freaking cool. Like they're cool. They're great. That's a great product. Um, And the impact is obviously less than regular footwear. So it's, it's, it might not be like the biggest problem to solve, but it definitely offers something different and needed. So I knew that I wanted to stay there, but like, I just want to clarify one thing. I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I'm still figuring it out. And I have a feeling that we will all be figuring it out for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Love it. Oh, so great. So great. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lucy. I mean, I've, I think we've all learned so much from your experience and we so appreciate you going deep with us and sharing all of those you know, hard times and also all those awesome times that you had throughout your business and what you're doing now. Um, so before we, I ask you the final question, I want to first acknowledge you, the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing. You know, you really are an example of going out there and just pursuing what you're passionate about, doing what you actually want to do. Um, and it's something that we can all learn from. So really appreciate you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I do want to say that action is the, will take you anywhere. Um, my business partner and I decided to go separate ways, um, and do different things and work on different projects. But the one thing that he said to me was, you taught me how to work and this gift will take me everywhere like anywhere and I said to him yes like once you know how to do you can do anything anything love it Mm. love that great so this is how we final question is how we finish all of our episodes here at the peers project and that is what do you think is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about happiness freedom fulfillment um satisfaction in every possible way love it (laughs) thanks so much lucy and where can people learn more about you and your work 
So Lucia, L-U-C-H-I-A.com.au is my consulting business. I am currently revamping the website, so please don't judge me. I whipped it up quickly and poorly. (laughs) Uh, You can catch me on LinkedIn. I'm fairly active from a corporate standpoint. So if you're interested in hearing more about business from a high level, um, add me on there. It's Lucy Bloomfield. And then on Instagram, it's a little more personal. Um a little more basic too. So if you're just getting started and you're sort of not really sure where to start, that's probably the platform for you. I'm starting to use IGTV. So it's a really good um, opportunity to sort of get little nuggets of wisdom about business. Um, Yeah, that's a good place to start. Otherwise, you can send me an email, hello at lucia, L-U-C-H-I-A dot com dot A-U. And I might take a little while to respond, but I will get back to you. Love it. Thanks so much, Lucy. We've had a ball. So appreciate it. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.